So, what actually happens on the day of your big virtual event? On a previous episode, we covered everything leading up to that event, but on today's episode, we're going to talk about the actual event day itself. Everything that goes on behind the scenes, the successes, the failures, all the heart attacks you have, and really, what made our first demand event such a big success. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right, Mark. So, like I mentioned in the opener, we talked about leading up to the event. Today, we're going to talk all about the day of. And then in a future episode, we're going to talk about what we did after the event. So, uh, so I'll start with just like describing how we're going to talk through this. So, obviously, this is a eight, nine-hour event. We're going to kind of talk through it a little bit in chronological order. We're going to go through like... Some of the things that happened, some of how we were feeling, what we were experiencing, you know, um, what the community, you know, attendees were experiencing. Um, and yeah, and talk about some of the things we would do probably differently or we will do differently next time uh, we do this event. Um, are we going to cover anything else? What do you think? What else did we cover? I mean, I think that's it. It's been three months since demand, so I feel like I'm in the right uh, state of mind to talk about it. I had some PTSD there for a little bit, so I'm glad we waited a little bit before we recorded this one. Awesome. So, uh, well, let's just talk it. Let's let's get into it. So, you know, I'm trying to not talk too much about the prep, so I'm just going to get right into it. So day of, it's a Friday. Um, The first thing is it's a virtual event. And also, not only is it a virtual event, but those of us running it at Metadata were also all over the place. So it wasn't like we got together all in one place to centrally run it. So I was right here in my house, in my office. And Mark, I don't remember if you were at the office in Chicago or at your house. I was um, in the Chicago the office. office. Yep. 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 And you might have, who was, you had like a couple people there with you, I think, right? Yeah. So we actually had, I think, three or four people in the office that were volunteers too. So we almost had a mini command center in, in some ways, uh, but it was still yeah. uh, organized chaos with people in different rooms. So we were all spread out for the most part. And then we had Carly who basically ran everything for us at her house in Portland, Oregon. So it was just kind of like one of those things where, all right, everybody, um, we're all in different places, so it made it, you know, maybe added a another layer of, I don't know, difficulty or challenge, but just difference. And we'll talk about some of that, you know, as we get into, like, the things that didn't happen perfectly. Um, so that just as, a, as context, I think it's important because a lot of times, you know, especially in olden days, <laughs> pre-pandemic, <laughs> You'd be, you know, most of these events were in person, you know, so you'd be doing this big in-person event and everybody would be there and you'd have like whole teams of people there to support it, event staff, et cetera. Now in this day and age, virtual events, you're running a big event and you're actually all distributed. So it's just adds an, I don't know, interesting context to kind of managing it. And you don't get this like war room, you know, like command center feel. So we get on, I don't remember when we started right at 8 a.m. Pacific time, I think, right? Uh, it did. Yeah. So yep. we, uh, we had, I want to say a couple, um, like, uh, off the cuff, like last minute, uh, prep calls in the morning just to do tech checks and whatnot. Um, so I think for everybody, like everything was working properly. 
they knew uh, who to go to for what. We had a Slack channel created for all of the volunteers the day of, and uh, everybody was feeling good, I think, going into it. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So you mentioned volunteers, and so let's talk about that. What kind of people did we need? Because um, I think it's easy for people to think like, oh, an in-person event. Oh, obviously, you're going to have to send people there. You're going to need people manning things and checking badges, blah, 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 blah. But virtual. So why do we need, why did we need to staff people? Why did we need to actually get people to work it? And what kind of roles were those? Yep. So I think like many things that we'll talk about on this episode and future episodes, uh, we're doing this for the first time. So I was pleasantly surprised at how many volunteers that we needed for the day of. Um, thankful uh, that we had Carly to coach us through that. But without her, I would have said, oh, yeah, you can probably get by with, you know, a couple people. I think the exact number was probably somewhere in the, the 10 to 12 uh, volunteer range. And the reason for that was it's a big commitment to have somebody volunteer for a you know a eight nine hour event however long it was and what we wanted to do was break it up into shifts so that with other people's calendars and really their day jobs that we weren't asking them to take a whole day off of work and help us out so we had a couple different types of roles we had um, q a moderators uh, we had chat moderators uh, we had uh, co-hosts as well uh, and then we also had people that were working the networking rooms, which we'll get into later. And then we also had people that were just kind of lingering in the chat and uh, we'll get into the chat. We'll spend quite a bit of time on that. So uh, at most we were asking for, I think a couple hours of people to, people's time. And for some of those, we were only asking for you know an hour. Uh, the beauty of all of this was, I think I was blown away at how eager the rest of metadata was to volunteer and help us with the event and it got people really excited internally yeah i remember that and um paired with that each of these people have a slightly different job and so like the training is not you can't you know you can't just get everybody the exact same training either so you know even they're thinking oh it's only 10 people yeah it's 10 people doing different things and so like not only do they have to be familiar with your event platform and how it works, but then also if they're manning a, a networking booth or if they're you know, moderating, they need to actually know how to do those things too. And so it adds a little bit of you know, time, commitment and things like that also just to get them using the platform well and just kind of even being able to do the job that you assigned them to. And so, um, so yeah, even with that, we had a lot of people still really interested, which was nice. Well, and we were trying to match people up to what we thought they'd be a really good fit for just based on personality and then based on their position at metadata. So some of the rooms uh, and, you know, sessions that we assigned them to, uh, if it required them to really know a particular area of B2B marketing um, well, we wanted to make sure that we were putting those people in the right position. So it wasn't, you know, some random person at metadata just being thrown to the wolves and trying to moderate something that they have no idea about. Yep. Yeah, and I know too, you know, we, we thought a lot about the MC, you know what I mean, or the hosts or get, you know, whatever you want to call them for the event. And I think for a while we were thinking it would be one person and like you and I were thinking like, should it be one of us? And then we ended up doing two people, which I thought was great, you and Sheena. Um, and I thought that worked actually really well. And the thing, interesting thing with Sheena was like, she was a CSM on the team, you know, um, 
Mark and I worked with her quite a bit, but we'd never seen her in that kind of capacity. You know what I mean? We were just like, mm-hmm. we think she could be interesting. We know her personality well. And man, I thought she did a great job. You know, not only what people could see, but even like in the back, um, what do they call it? The backstage, you know, when like we're prepping people, she was just like conversating with Dave Gearhart and like every, you know, the other people that were there just spitballing, like asking them questions that like a lot of even B2B marketers wouldn't even ask them, you know what I mean? Because they'd be like, oh my God, it's Dave Gearhart. I can't even, she would just be like lobbing them. And so it was like, she'd create rapport. And so it was like, it was fun to see people also just shine into something that they really haven't done before or we hadn't seen them do before. And so I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah. I think one of my favorite parts of the entire event was something that Sheena said uh, in that little backstage room before Dave and Kyle went on for one of their sessions. I'm probably going to butcher this a little bit, but she said something like, wow, you're much funnier than I thought you would be. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. he, I think it kind of like stunned him <laughs> that somebody who he didn't know would say that, but we were yep. cracking up laughing and uh, it was awesome. And I think that carried through to uh, <laughs> the first, you know, 10, 20 seconds of the intro for uh, their session too. Yep. Cool. All right. So we got all the blocking and tackling done. Everybody knows what they're doing. We kick off the event. It's eight o'clock. We kick it off. And... This is, so, our original plan, we actually had somebody lined up to do a keynote, and it didn't end up working out. And so, the team decided that Jason, this guy here, should do the keynote, which I was stoked about, but I'd never done really a keynote before, especially in front of that many people. Um, And so, I was highly nervous. And so, like, I'll, I will talk a tiny bit about, like, leading up to it, but... I met with our, we have an internal, well, he's not internal, but like he works with us, this speech coach, basically. Like um, I work with him. I never, ever like practice, really practice a presentation. Man, I was like delivering that thing as if it were like people were right there in front of me, you know, practicing it. And I was like, put all that beside me. So I was really nervous, but excited at the same time. And so I got in there and I still actually haven't listened to it back. Actually, I should watch it back at some point just so I can get some corrections for myself. But I felt really energized. You know what I mean? I just felt good. I felt really good about what I was talking about. Um, I, I actually used a, a little hint. I use this tool called SpeakFlow that actually basically acts like a teleprompter. And you can adjust the size of everything and it actually listens to you and it scrolls as you're talking. So it's using like NLP to like, so that actually really helped me because I could look like I had remembered most of it, which I had, but there were still parts where I would get stuck, but it was right there. And so that was nice for me to have. But then the keynote ends and the next session is supposed to start. And what happened, Mark? So, all right, I'm glad enough time has passed for us to talk about this. So <laughs> long story short, and we'll get into what happened, but uh, the, there was an outage with the platform. And uh, we didn't really know what was happening. And when I say me, uh, it was myself and April Dunford because we were in the backstage of the platform. Uh, we uh, go on stage, you have to click a separate button and uh, like we're there and she doesn't really know if she's presenting. Uh, I can't talk to her through the chat in the platform. So we have no like direct access to her. And this is right about, I think, I don't know, it was like 10 to 10, 15 
central-ish. <laughs> and I was ready to jump out of a window because I didn't know what was happening. None of us knew what was happening. And for about 15 minutes, we were like basically screaming, didn't know what we were gonna do, didn't know how to recover from this. I think we'll talk about the chat here again in a second, but thank God the chat was as lively as it was uh, because that saved the little uh, sideshow that was going on. So I was in a super dark place because I didn't know what we were gonna do. We were working with Carly to you know, spin up a, a Zoom webinar instance. And then I'm thinking in the moment, well, here you have 4,500 people ready on a, like to watch an all day event and you're gonna send a, a, an email with a separate Zoom webinar link and expect that all of those people are gonna drop and join, like in what world? So I don't know, how was it yeah. in your world, Jason? Well, yeah, I remember, so what I remember is the problem I had is I'd never used an event platform at all, let alone the one we were using. So I think for me, if I like really think back, I didn't know what I was like, and this was the first, cause like it broke my keynote at work, it worked, but then it broke, it was supposed to like redirect everyone from the keynote right into the next session. And that's kind of what broke was that redirect. So people were just sitting in the old one, they didn't know what to do. But I also, because we'd never been through one before, I didn't know too. I was like, am I doing something wrong? You know what I mean? Like, have I not clicked over to the right place? Um, so I actually was confused at first, like, is this a problem or is this just a me problem? You know, like, and I actually don't remember how we all realized that it was an actual problem. I actually don't remember how, if it was just people were. So uh, I do uh, because I'll <laughs> never forget this. Uh, so we had set up a email alias. It was demand at metadata IO uh, that mm. pointed to myself and then one of the other people on the team. And I started to see some requests come in and then I also started to get messages on LinkedIn and then people ah. were posting on the LinkedIn event page. So it was like all happening oh, at once. Okay. Yeah. And okay. then at that point I'm thinking, holy shit, what are we gonna do here? So yeah, it all, yeah. Uh, the worst uh, I think part was uh, knowing that it was happening to multiple people, um, but we were able to recover and, thankfully and we'll get into that. Yeah, and we really didn't know what to do. So I remember, you know, and. My background a long, long time ago was like doing these big IT deployments. So, so like some of the stuff, you know what I mean? For me, it was just like, oh yeah, this all oh, this feels kind of a little bit familiar. Um, and I remember thinking like, okay, well, it's nothing we did. So we just have to be like on top of it with the event platform. And so, you know, I'm calling the CEO and, you know, trying to get people and they're aware, you know what I mean? And they're all over it. Um, but. I think the thing we didn't have really was like a, a war room dial in for everyone to you know, like the event platform people, our people, you know what I mean? We, we probably should have had a Zoom going, but that's where it was like a game of telephone. It was like, we just, we just got a hold of the event platform people, you know what I mean? And like they're, they're talking with one, you know, like Carly, but then Carly's trying to communicate with us what's going on. And all of a sudden at the same time, trying to send out a Zoom, you know, for everybody to join the well, Zoom. Well, buying, entering a credit card to buy a Zoom webinar oh my license gosh, that's right that too. could yeah. hold up uh, or that had enough room for as many people as we had because we didn't have that. And we were literally doing that on the fly. I remember Carly slacking me. Can I spend X, X dollars right now? for? <laughs> I'm like, yes, don't worry about it. Just do it, you know? And so luckily though, we, 
it was right before we were ready to send out the Zoom, it started to come back online. And so thank goodness, because honestly, had we tried to flip everyone over to Zoom and then back, that probably, that would have been worse. And so, um, so yeah, so that's, that was the, that was one of the heart attacks for sure. Yeah, I think the, the beauty in all of it was after we looked at the, um, we didn't do this until Monday because I think we needed to uh, let it simmer down a bit. After we looked at the platform analytics and we were able to see how many people were attending like by minute throughout the entire event, you would have thought that we lost a bunch of people at that exact moment. We didn't lose anywhere close to the amount of people that you would have expected. It was like marginal at best. Like it yeah. was a very, very small decrease. And I think that was a testament to a couple things. One, the chat and how active the chat was because some people were still able to access the chat during it, although we couldn't actually show like the, the presenter screen. And then two, I think it was really the lineup of people that we had and everything that was like what was to come because we're what, two years into this pandemic, I think everyone almost expects there to be some tech issues, uh, some bigger than, than, uh, than others. But at the same time, like some of this stuff is going to go wrong. And I think we took it in stride and made sure that, uh, not only that we recovered, but like it was kind of out of sight, out of mind within, you know, 20, 30 minutes of being back online. Yeah. And, you know, I remember in the middle of it too, I was like, oh, I can pop onto the stage and say something. You know what I mean? So I remember I just popped on. I was like, am I here? Like, am I, am I talking to everybody? You know, if you can hear me, you know, like we're, we know where there's a problem, we're working on it. And, you know, a lot of the feedback that we got after the fact was like, hey, you know, sure there was a problem, but man, you guys handled it really, really well. And the authenticity, again, that's what we're all about, the authenticity with which you handled it, just like actually might've drawn people in more even. You know what I mean? So, you know, lemons out of lemon, lemonade out of lemons. I guess on that one. Is that how that saying goes? I don't know. <laughs> There's almost going to be lemons out of lemonade, but that would have been interesting. Alchemy going on there. <laughs> um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about, you know, we've got a couple of other things in here we can talk about. How about, you know, we were with the audience and how we communicated with the audience. Um, I know beforehand a little bit, but we won't talk too much about, about that, but, you know, during the event as well. So setting the expectations with the audience. Um, what did we do with that? And why did that help the event be even more successful? So I think we reiterated everything that we had mentioned in the emails leading up to it in that this was not a sales event for metadata um, masked as an event for community like this was an event for the community. And we were not going to hand over you know, the people who are engaged, you know, clicking around and asking questions to our sales team. And we were so blatantly open about that, that it almost disarmed people in that they knew that they could have a good time, attend, soak everything up, not have to get worried about being added to some automated sequence post event. And like the funniest part for me was one of the things that we added was a virtual trade show booth in the event platform. And we had staff people there, uh, we were very clear at the beginning that, hey, it's there if you want it. Uh, if you don't, no hard feelings. Guess how many people stopped by that in the platform? Zero. 20. So, oh, zero? No, it, 20? Was literally, it was literally zero. <laughs> yep. And we were totally okay with that. And, you know, yep. 
hindsight's twenty twenty. But like <laughs> the funnier part is we had quite a few opportunities and close one revenue that came out of it without even, you know, pushing people to that trade show booth. So uh, exactly. that was a big thing for us when it comes to setting expectations and just being very clear, like why we were putting on the events and it was for the attendees. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So, and also part of, part of the success or, you know, part of, I think what got people excited about it was, you know, a little bit of like, what am I going to miss out on? You know what I mean? And so FOMO for, you know, you millennials out there. Um, (laughs) so I think we did a good job at this. You know, we did it broadly. You know what I mean? We didn't just like, oh, one thing to help create some. And I hate to use the fear of missing out because then it sounds like we're trying to like game people. But the reality is we felt like you don't want to miss out. You know what I mean? Like we were like, we wouldn't want to miss out on this. Like if this, if an event like this was going on in our like industry, we definitely wouldn't want to miss out on that. You know what I mean? And so we knew there's a reason that we want people to come. We knew, like you just talked about, our intent behind it. You know what I mean? People might not have known that right out of the gate. But we really wanted people to know that, like, this is really, we're putting on the kind of event we would want to go to ourselves, you know. Um, so what were some of the things that we did, I guess even on the day of, since we're talking more about that, to continue, you know, that, like, Making it so desirable, I'll call it that. So not the FOMO, but it's so desirable that people are just like, I can't miss this. Yep, I think a couple things, and this is a huge advantage that we have. I kind of refer to it as a, a marketing weapon, but we have uh, a bunch of employees who really want to help market metadata. And it was a huge advantage for us on the day of the event because they helped get the word out. They were promoting the specific sessions that they were most excited for. Uh, they were having fun with their posts. We encourage employees to take pictures of what their at-home setups look like uh, because we were all spread out throughout the country and, and outside of North America. And it really showed the kind of the people behind the scenes who were making this all happen. And I think that honesty and transparency, like you mentioned before, really just goes a long way with our audience because people aren't used to that in MarTech. Yeah, and I think I think I think if I remember right, I think that morning of, I think I took like a candid shot. You know what I mean? Of like my like you said my setup. I think I was like in like a white T-shirt. You know what I mean? Just like prepping for my keynote. Um, and I think, you know, there is something there's something disarming when you see a company that you already respect that's comfortable enough saying things like that. You know what I mean? Like, wow. I don't know if I'm ready for this yet or, oh my gosh, like what could go wrong? Or, you know, yeah, sure. It might, you know, we don't want, let me, what am I trying to say? Um, we're not just trying to showcase the, everything great that happened. And I think, and this just goes along with how we think about ourselves and how we want to market and everything else. It's kind of like, we don't want to be, the people in social media, right? That like only ever show like 
the fucking amazing parts of their lives and look at me and like you know I'm on the beach and then you know here's me and my kids and my family and then but meanwhile that's like one one hundredth of your time the other ninety nine percent of your time you're like fucking a just kill me now like what am I doing here <laughs> so so we want to show all of it you know what I mean and I think that's also part of what draws people in is like we're not a you know, we're not huge. We're not like, oh, you know, formal and stuffy and enterprisey yet. But, you know, we're getting well, fairly well known. We're getting a little bit more, you know. But still at the same time, we we don't want to take ourselves too seriously, you know. And we don't want to get so stuffy that we're not relatable. And I think that's really what it comes down to is, like, we're all dealing with these challenges. Like, we all have, like, we're all, everyone's a virtual event. Something's going to happen. or You know what I mean? Like, not, not everything is working perfectly. So let's talk about the things that aren't working perfectly, too. And, you know, I think that's a big part of our, our brand personality. Yeah, you mentioned relatable, and I think that's, that nails it because we're marketing to marketers at the end of the day. And sometimes I feel like our audience just assumes that we have all of these things figured out and we're perfect and yada, yada, yada. Absolutely not. Like, we are in the same boat as our audience. Like, we are just marketing to a different audience at the end of the day. We're marketing to B2B marketers like us. So it comes across as raw, it comes across as authentic, and I think it just, it, it's relatable and it's human. And I think that's missing from B2B. Yeah, because like if I see something that looks always perfect in my mind, I'm like, wow, there's something shitty going on under there. You know, it's like, <laughs> what are they hiding? <laughs> what don't we know? You know what I mean? It's like, what, yeah. what are we not seeing? You know, that's what's really scary. And so hopefully with us, like, we want to show everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because um, that's real life, you know. And so, um, awesome. One thing, uh, there's one last thing that I wanted to add on creating FOMO. So I think um, we've talked about this on some of the other episodes, but we pre-recorded close to maybe a little bit more than half of the event. And I, like a total amateur, did not know why you'd want to pre-record sessions. And there are so many benefits to pre-recording some of the sessions. We'll get into that a little bit here in a sec. But for us, for some of those sessions that we had pre-recorded and we already had edited with our um, the video um, freelancer that we were working with, we were able to use those as social clips the day of. So for the people that weren't there attending, it was right. amazing that we were able to pump some of those social clips out on LinkedIn and show people firsthand, like, this is the shit that you're missing right now. So that was awesome for us because... I would never have uh, expected a team our size and a company our size to do something like that in their first year. Yeah, well, let's talk about real quick the other benefit from that, too. I mean, you know, because like we were talking about the other day, because I was the same as you. I was like, well, why wouldn't we have it all live? People it's like this is a virtual event. People are expecting, you know, it was mm -hmm. just me hearkening back to, the, again, the in-person days. You can't, you know, you can really pre-record an in-person, you know, keynote. And so it was just, it was just like, and then I, I think us being authentic, you know what I mean? I always want to be authentic. It was another like, well, that's not very authentic. But the reality is the hugest benefit that you don't think about is if it's pre-recorded, the person giving the speech can actually be in the session just chatting with people, you know what I mean? And answering questions. So they're presenting, but people have questions or on the fly. And they can just be there networking with people and the attendees are like getting to talk right to the person who is basically giving that lesson. And so I, and I don't know if you thought about that ahead of time either, but I know I hadn't thought that that would be as big of a benefit as it actually was. Yeah. I think where pre-recorded sessions go wrong is that 
they're not making the presenter either available in general in the chat mm. or as available as we did. So we yeah. were very clear in our marketing that we were going to give you access to people who, you know, for the most part, you don't have access to, uh, whether it's some of these big names in B2B marketing or the, the up and coming B2B marketers. And it was tough with time zones and commitments. So like we didn't get a hundred percent of the presenters in the chat, but I want to say we were close to 85, 90% on attendance. And you know, hearing uh, or seeing people ask questions and having some of the panels chime in with their different answers, like that drove a whole different kind of, of, of attendee experience that we need to make sure that we can uh, <laughs> replicate uh, when we do it again this year. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit of that experience. So we did some things, you know, we made some decisions and did some things that were specifically for the experience. And we talked about a lot of things that we didn't do too. Like some of the things that I, you know, really I was interested in were like, I was trying to like think, how can we replicate some of the cool in-person features of an event? You know, so I was like, can we send everybody a DoorDash? Me and my DoorDash. Um, DoorDash, I need to fucking, I need like a sponsorship from DoorDash or something. I need a kickback. DoorDash, DoorDash. evangelist. Yeah. <laughs> but like, can we send them a DoorDash, you know, and give, is that way they have this, like they have lunch, you know what I mean? But then when we did the math, it was like, oh geez, you know, that would be like, oh, um, that, that's expensive. Um, but you know, things like that. So what we did do though, is we created some like, I don't know if they were called networking rooms. I think that's what we called them, right? Networking rooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Networking rooms. And then also some entertainment. Um, let's talk about the networking rooms first, and then we'll talk a little bit about the entertainment. Um, so networking yep. rooms, we we wanted them to be kind of fun, you know. So we started, you know, before the event, like what what are some fun topics? And we came up with what we have like six or seven or eight, eight somewhere in there. Rooms. Some were yeah. work related, some were not. Yep, yep. So like, yeah. So what were some of the talk? We have the bar. Which, yeah. again, like trying to replicate a fun, like happy hour experience, but people had to bring, bring their own cocktails. But that was another one. Actually, three days before the event, I tried to get Drizzly to sponsor that. And we were going to have like people that went in the bar. They'd get actually alcohol delivered to them, you know, during the event. But it was too, too short of a time period. They were interested, but they were like, oh, shit, like we can't make this happen that fast. So we had that. We had stretching, like people doing yoga. What else did we have? I think there was a pets room. Uh, there were... <laughs> Um, I think there was a music room and then there were a couple like more topical B2B marketing That's right. um, spots too. I think like my own take on it, I think they were great uh, in theory and I think we had a great mix of topics for those. But the schedule that we had set up, and we'll get into this probably a little bit later, didn't really allow for enough people to stop by and see those uh, because the sessions were all you know, scheduled back to back to back to back. So we had, I think one or two breaks and one of the breaks was at the end of the day and people are already burned out at that point. It is a big time commitment. So, um, it was definitely fun. I think I was in a couple different rooms and had some good conversations. Um, but I'd probably do it a little bit differently, uh, yeah. for the next demand. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It felt like a cool thing that not enough pe you know what I mean? Like not enough people probably participated in. And so, yeah, I'm yep. sure we could do it do it better um and then the entertainment and so um we rolled the dice and hired corporate pro and when i say the roll the dice it's because he can be polarizing to some people you know what i mean and so like and we kind of knew that you know um we even got 
some feedback before the event to our CEO that was like, um, I don't know about that. I don't know about that choice, but we were just, you know, we always like to, we don't want to play it safe. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't sound fun. Like, what do you want to see? Like some like toddler fucking magician, you know what I mean? Come and like do some like, you know, like, uh, we're being tricks. clear. That was, that was an option that somebody threw out, uh, that wasn't named Mark Huber. So, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, yes, it was I'm me. glad we didn't do it that. It was me. Uh, um, but you know, like, and it wasn't that bad. I was looking like, you know, it could have been cool, but I still think it would not have been, people would have just been like, oh, like background stuff, I think. But Corporate Bro, a lot of people on the event are connected with him. They know him. He can be very snarky. And he has disdain for marketing. And so I hired him to come to a marketing conference and basically roast marketing. And so we were nervous because also it's Corporate Bro. So it's like you don't really control what he says. You know, you can say things like, hey, please don't touch on this. And he'd listened to like the big ones. But then it was like, we don't know what's going to happen. And not only that, but then I had to go on and like moderate his session. And oh my God, I don't think of myself as funny or witty like him. I don't think of myself as like at all somebody that could stay toe to toe with him. So I was like, so I was more nervous for that than my keynote. And I think I did okay. I, somebody else would have definitely done it better, but he definitely drove it. And I kind of tried to stick, I tried to keep up with him, I guess I would say. Um, but it ended up, I think, being overall net positive, you know, I think as an entertainment, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, and I know a lot of other people did too. We in, in, even introduced Corporate Bro to some people too, that never, never seen him before. Yeah, I think the one thing that uh, if people are thinking about using Corporate Pro for their event, one, I would recommend doing it because I thought it was hilarious. But two, we did have prep calls leading up to it, and we did give him guardrails, and there were some things that I think he wanted to say that were funny at the end of the day, but were um, crossing a, a work line. Like, you know, you can't talk about specific companies that aren't named metadata. Right. We're yeah. happy to let you make fun of us, but you can't make fun of other companies. So, like, we did have to reel it back in. And then I think my favorite part, aside from the the entertainment at the event, was just seeing how his brain works in some of those prep calls. Because he's a really fucking smart dude. And seeing him snap in and out of character uh, was pretty funny, too. Yeah, 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 no, totally. I loved getting that kind of behind the scenes a little bit with with Corporate Bro. That was great. Um, And, you know, we'll, we'll probably use him again, trying to find other ways of, you know, working with him. So... So yeah, that was kind of my, um, what else do we do? I'm trying to think, what else do we do to, I mean, we were very communicative, you know, just to like, you know, make the, empl- the employee, the attendee experience better. Do we do anything else really outside of those things? Um, I mean, that remember. was a lot. So, so don't, don't act like that, that wasn't enough. <laughs> I think we were uh, very, very focused on the attendee experience yeah. and we will continue to do that um, just because it was more for them than it was for us. Uh, we did have kind of a an end of uh, event wrap up with some drinks uh, in some of the rooms that you know uh, again I think we all needed it after the day that we had had but you know asking somebody to you know give up a full day of their um, work week in addition to the people on the east coast who at that point I think it was closer to like five or six p.m. like that's a big time commitment so um, yeah there were a couple lessons learned from that that we'll talk about here now yeah yeah actually speaking of the yeah the end of the event that was one of the things that i i didn't know i didn't think about it i didn't anything about it but 
it wraps up at like, I don't know, two, two o'clock my time. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, I'm fucking by myself, man. I'm like, I want to be with Mark. I want to be with like everybody. I want to be, you know, like for me, this is one of the biggest things I'd ever done in my career. You know what I mean? That I could say like, I'm materially responsible for a lot of this. And it went off so well and all the great, you know, feedback and everybody worked so hard and like, here we are and it's two o'clock and I want to be drinking and celebrating with you guys. And here I am like by myself, my wife, we're just drinking, you know, here like TV's on, you know, luckily you guys got together and called me. And honestly that you just probably still don't know like how, how important that actually ended up being for me when you guys called me. Cause like Mark and I don't know, probably four or five other people were out yep. drinking and having fun. And they called, they FaceTimed me and literally just like, added me to the fun, you know what I mean, as much as they could. And that honestly made my night because I was literally right up to that point. I was like, oh, man, like I, I'm not with my people. You know, my wife is over there like, well, what about me? I'm like, no, it's not. You know, it's like <laughs> I love being with you, but, you know, it's different. You know, you just did this huge thing with these people that you're close with. And now you're just by yourself, you know, so that was that was something literally I will take action on that next year. I will not be by myself. You know, we'll be together. We will have a some kind of a war room, you know, kind of experience yep. or, you know, we're talking about doing some hybrid parts of this too. So, you know, we'll probably be with, with attendees as well, uh, I'd imagine. So, yeah, I think that was probably one of the big lessons learned for me was, um, and not, not really a lesson, but maybe something I would have done differently was having like a war room, uh, where we're all there together, I think for a couple different reasons. The other big thing that if you take anything away from this, hopefully you've taken away a few things is to have a backup plan and just hope that you never have to use it. Uh, we did not have a backup plan and we'll never do that again. Uh, you know, you hope that you, you know, never have to even think about using, you know, a Zoom webinar license uh, after you've purchased an event uh, platform. But knowing that you have that and it's like a, I don't know, in case uh, of emergency, like break here, <laughs> like you can yeah. use something like that. So um, we yeah. will definitely have that moving forward. Uh, just to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that we haven't talked a lot about too, um, and I'll just mention this kind of is, you know, we didn't have sponsors and this does go, we had, we had a lot of people asking, you know, like literally asking if they could be sponsors, speakers, et cetera. But we had LinkedIn as a sponsor, but only because we have a partnership with them and they, they didn't, they didn't want the leads, you know, they didn't want the list of, of, they were happy with just having their name associated with it. Um, so we did have them sponsor it and we'll, you know, we'll do that again. And if we do any sponsorships, it'll be that way. It will not be lead sharing sponsorships basically. And I think that was important because a lot of the events that we get invited to speak at, like the second or the third page of the prospectus is like, if you give us a hundred leads, you get a thousand, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, Oh my God, can we please stop thinking about it this way? Um, and so I think that was, you know, that was one of the better things about ours and why we didn't have sponsors, you know, and why we we won't or if we do it'll be because they understand what we're doing you know what i mean and they just want to be associated with the event and they know that the leads aren't going to matter yeah it was also funny to see people come out of the woodwork and ask to sponsor the event after you know we had even announced it in the first place and then i think um what i also didn't realize would happen is how many people would try and throw their name in the hat to speak uh, at the event. Oh yeah. So like yeah, for us tough, actually, in some cases, uh, in some cases we had to say no and it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think f I was maniacal about curating the, 
content and the agenda and the speakers and we're going to make sure that we keep that like attention to detail uh for the next demand but we don't want to just water this down and let this turn into something else where anyone who wants to speak can speak yeah yep we'll definitely keep that um cool i'm gonna flip to we actually we don't really have a lot of questions like most of the questions really centered around like what would we do differently so let's just take this last couple minutes and like talk about something that we would maybe do differently uh you want to go first yep i think we didn't know many things going into this, but we didn't really know how many sessions were enough sessions in a given day. And because it was our first year, we didn't know, like we didn't want to overcomplicate it and create too many tracks for the first year. But next time that we do this, I think we do create more tracks to shorten like the length of the event uh, because it's such a big time commitment. And uh, many people wanted to attend, you know, sessions and weren't able to. So I think I would probably create more tracks and then also um, be better about scheduling breaks. And you got to be careful with the breaks because you don't want to lose people. Uh, but we do want to make sure that people can also like network, you know, if they want to do so instead of just leaving that at the end. Cool. Um... I'm going to say something more tactical, I think. Um, and we thought about this, but we just didn't do it because it was just going to be too much extra work. But I think basically opening registration for the next year's event right at that, like the end of the event would be cool. Um, and I get that from Tableau when we used to do the big Tableau conference, like the last day of the conference, it'd be a big reveal where it's going to be next year and, you know, and all this stuff. And people would register. And so um, I'm not sure, like, we're still going to get the same, you know what I mean, people that come in, but I think that could be kind of a cool thing. Like, oh, we're already thinking about it next year, you know, block the calendar. And so this year when we do it, maybe we'll have time to think about like, now also we know, because like last year, we also didn't know, are we going to do this two times a year, three times a year? The big one we're going to do once a year, and we'll have other kind of smaller probably events throughout the year that are, you know, to similar audiences. But now that we had a understand more about like what that might look like. Um, we can add that to the list of things that we might want to do next time. So yeah, something very tactical, but something I was thinking like, oh, that could be cool. Cool. All right, well, I think we uh, took about 40 minutes to talk through a day's worth of, you know, of activity. So uh, hopefully that's helpful for everybody. Um, you know, like Mark and I said, this Demand Gen U is really about uh, helping B2B marketers with things that we've learned, you know, things that we've learned over our career and, and obviously here at Metadata. And this is a big one. So subscribe to the podcast, give us a nice rating, and we will see you again next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. 
B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter. 